a listener production. This episode is brought to you by Bendix Brakes, Denso and Exidy. The Grill, a collaboration with VACC, the Victorian Automotive Chamber of Commerce and powered by Listener. Hello, everybody. Welcome aboard The Grill, powered by VACC in the Listener Garage, an auto industry smorgasbord. And our April editions are all part of a special, recorded mainly at Albert Park when Formula One was in town for the Australian Grand Prix. So, no, Shane Jacobson, Jeff Gwillem and I didn't qualify for the race. Uh, But we do have some very cool guests for you who were trackside with us, including the legendary Larry Perkins, our guest of honour for the President's Supper. Neil Crompton, who's called F1, IndyCar, and you know him as the voice of supercars, plus funny man, Anthony Limo Lehman. Uh, That could all go off the rails. In fact, it invariably does. Before we get to them and before you get to enjoy that, Shane, Jeff, welcome to both of you. Hey, mate. How you doing? Great, Shane. I'm great. You good? Has Jeff been on the coffees again? In the March episodes, you were ve- you were on the gas, Jeff. The best we've ever heard from you. Have you, have you been having caffeine again? I've had one. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and and full disclosure, myself and uh, Jeff, before we started this episode, we're downstairs um, coughing it up. Yeah, then we got a bit of a coffee, and um, my favourite thing we just saw down there was uh, they had little sausage rolls in yes. bite-sized pieces. Right. Um, so they're like literally a normal sausage roll cut into six or seven. Yeah. And me and Jeff reckon that what happened was they went out there and said to the chef, we've only got one sausage roll left. And he went up with a knife and cut it into seven pieces and said, no, we don't. We've got seven bite-sized pieces. Not anymore. Yeah. And then Jeff watched me get a coffee with no sugar. And then before she walked off, I said, but can I have a shot of caramel? You should have seen the look I got out of the corner of Jeff's eye. And as I said to him, is that like someone saying, can I have six pies and a Diet Coke, please? (laughs) Now, while we are talking Grand Prix, uh, and Albert Park and everything else. Back in the day, back in the 80s, Calder Park hosted rounds of the Australian Grand Prix. And Albert Park has this rich history of of hosting the AGP anyway, beyond the modern era that we know it. The reason I bring up Calder Park, you and I were talking before coming on air with the podcast today, Shane, and there is a Mm -hmm. bit of rumour around about this place and maybe kind of a resurrection. What, What have you heard and is this true? Well, Let's be honest, you and I have had little chats with Rodney Jane. Yes. And we can't call it facts yet, but he had a similar conversation with both of us. And that conversation is this, that as we know, Sandown, or some of our listeners may not know, Sandown will soon no longer be an available racetrack here in the great state of Victoria, which means we're running out of options. You know, there's very few. And Calder Park has been around, as you've just said, Rusty, for a very long while. So I think there's some there's some talk about potentially building a racetrack out at Avalon. What Rodney Jane is saying is there is already a racetrack that's not quite up to scratch, but it is a racetrack. And, of course, I'm talking about Calder Park. And what he's saying is, you know, they're wanting to talk to the, to the government about the fact that if they can, they're not after, as he says, a room full of cash, but a little bit of assistance just to bring it up to spec. Having said this, I, I do want to I do want to have a sort of a car in each lane, if you will. If the government want to pay for two race tracks, we'll take. <laughs> um, so let's just put that let's just put that out there. If they want to do one at Avalon and also help Calder Park out, wouldn't that be optimal? But let's be honest, it's probably not the way it's going to go. And you know, I talk about it because um, you know you spoke to me about it, Rusty, and I, I drive past Calder Park on my way in here today 
I saw some monster trucks parked out the front of it. There's obviously a bit of a meet going on. Um, and I, I went there as a kid with drag racing. I, I knew the late, great Bob Jane. He, in fact, helped us out with the movie Kenny. We did scenes there at the Thunderdome where we mocked up a truck race, you know. So, And I used to go there and watch it as a kid. I did fireworks at the drag races at Calder Park, also as a pyrotechnician. So anyway, I, obviously it's, it's a bit of a touchstone for me, if you will. I'm, I'm, I've been there through many different stages in my life. But his point is valid, so I'll move away from him and just make my point on this because I guess I can make that. It does say, make sense to me that there is an existing racetrack. It needs a bit of help. We're losing sand down. There's a lot of other events that happen out of Calder. There is drag racing, and we've said monster trucks. They do off-road stuff. Yeah, I think it, I think it makes total sense that if the government would – go there and have a look at the facility or whatever they need to do to look at just helping. He's, Calder Park has been privately funded since its inception and to this very day. So I don't think yet they've put their hand out once to go, can we have a bit of a chop out here? I, I think it makes sense. Yeah, Shane, I do as well. The issue is if you build two, neither of them might have enough yeah. foot traffic. I'm, I agree. You know, go with what you've got. Yeah. The redevelopment, you know, needs a good – Lift, yep. Uh, but uh, you're better off with one well-used facility that's that's full than two that are half full. So I guess let's finish by saying, Rusty, you and I both know we've spoken to, as we said, Rodney Jane. That's how he's feeling. That's what he's thinking at the moment, and and some other people uh, out there at Calder Park. So I just figure it doesn't hurt to have this conversation on this podcast, and would would be interested to hear what people think, um, because as we know. Thoughts and the voices of the community are what gets government attention and the way you start that is you start the conversation. So we've just had that conversation. And this little podcast, which I love, um, has been you know supported massively by the Victorian Automotive Chamber of Commerce from the get-go. I would love to think that a venue like that goes beyond my other love, Shane, in, in motor racing and that it is used, if it can be brought up to speed, for some of the companies that have morphed during the big changes in the auto industry in this country that are Victorian-based, that could go out and, and test and sample and do other things on other days of the week when there's no motor racing there. So we'll follow that story for you. And we might even, if memory serves, done a little bit of a, a, a dive into uh, the VACC records here. I reckon um, around Bob Jane T-Marts that there is a member connection there. So we might try and get Rodney on the show at some stage. Coming up as well, in addition to our great guest lineup that we mentioned there before, listener mail. Uh, the glove box is pretty full after the March episode. Thank you for that. And no episode is safe without blow it out your tailpipe. Just a reminder that our regular news and VFAX segments. We'll be back for the May editions of the show. This is our Grand Prix Supper Special. And as a part of that, we're going to let you in on some of the cool conversations that we enjoyed with our guests around the 2023 Formula One season, the form guide, a bit of the tech, and a whole lot more, which includes Larry Perkins, Neil Crompton, and the great Anthony Limo Lehman. A quick break to talk about Bendix brakes, specifically their General CT brake pads, the perfect braking solution for everyday driving. Bendix General CT brakes utilise stealth advanced technology, offering smoother and quieter braking for more comfortable day-to-day driving. Ceramic technology means that they also deliver improved stopping performance, low dust, low rotor wear and enhanced durability. Bendix Blue Titanium Stripe technology removes the need 
for bedding in, and noise-absorbing shims reduce vibration and noise during extreme braking. For the perfect everyday braking solution, ask your mechanic to fit Bendix General CT brake pads. Available from all good Bendix stockers. Bendix, put your foot down with confidence. The feature guest for this edition is one that we've actually wanted to get on the grill for quite some time. Fittingly, he was our honoured guest as a part of the President's Supper at Chicane, just beyond Turns 1 and 2 on the edge of the Albert Park track over GP weekend. A great roll-up of industry guests, VACC executive, media and more. Thank you to all of those who came along. But we wanted those that couldn't attend to be able to enjoy some of the stories from a man who is... As renowned as a straight shooter that has walked quite a road in motorsport that ultimately took him to Formula One and then great success back home in Australia in supercars and at Bathurst where he's a six-time winner and his reputation around car preparation and engineering remains to this day incredibly highly regarded. We hope you enjoy part one of our special chat focused on Larry Perkins. Folks, here for the VACC President's Supper tonight, we uh, we could never replace Shane Jacobson, but in his absence, we've got an unbelievable panel for you. Can you please put your hands together, firstly, for Anthony Limo. Lehman, make some noise there. Thank you, Rusty. What about my good buddy from Supercars, Hall of Famer, unbelievable commentator, ripper human being, Neil Crompton here Thanks, as Rusty. well. Come on. Thank you. He pays the bills. Uh, he loves being a part of the Grill podcast as well. Please make some noise for Jeff Gwillem, VACC boss. We are delighted to welcome a guest of honour this evening uh, who has a great many accolades that he achieved um, here in this country from six Bathurst wins in the early part of his career, winning a very important title in Formula Ford that helped take him or, or kickstart a, a chapter in Europe. He went to Europe on absolute merit, he made it to Formula One. He went to Le Mans and drove supercars. In post-race life since he stopped in the early 2000s, he's been inducted into the Supercars Hall of Fame and he's been awarded an Order of Australia medal in 2021 as well. Ladies and gentlemen, Larry Perkins. Our guest of honour this evening, very fitting guest of honour. We did something very similar um, with the VACC President's Breakfast last year. Can we start with just a kind of an open-ended one? Because life for you has in some ways come full circle. You are literally back where life began and, and on the family farm, which has been there for generations. Yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. That's true. Uh, I, I was born up in the Mallee uh, in 1950 and, um, at Murrayville. And uh, grandfather had uh, come back from World War One and got a plot of dirt up there in 1919. And uh, I've, you know, I've got the same dirt now. I grew up there. I left there when I was about 20 to come down to start my career of car racing. Yeah, I'm, I'm full circle back there now and uh, I'm a grain producer now. So if anyone wants to buy some <laughs> grain, uh, <laughs> I've got 2,500 tonnes of lupins there. I'm trying to shift, yeah. Amazing. Where did the love for cars and racing come from? Because it, it is in the family, is it not? And uh, that passion for it, shall we say? Yeah, my, my, my dad um, made race cars in the 50s, uh, hill climb cars and stuff like that. And uh, and then he went in those Red X trials and the Mobile Gas trials. He won two, two of them and... Um, 
got a second and a fourth, so he was pretty good in that. So, yeah, we had a, a, a taste of racing and uh, I had you know, three other brothers and only one car, so when you had a go in the car, you couldn't cock it up, you know. Uh, <laughs> you'd, be, you'd be quickly thrown out, you know. And, uh, yeah, so uh, I, I was uh, able to explore the uh, limits at a very early age and, um, uh, you know, no hindrances up there and uh, honed my skills and... Um, I suppose when you only got your time to dream about things, all I ever want to do is go overseas and uh, beat the other guys, and um, and that's well, I didn't beat them all, but but I beat a lot of them. And, uh, <laughs> uh, but that's what I want to do. Yeah, uh, Larry. It turns out we're neighbours. I grew up at, at near Pinaroo, which is right next to Murrayville. So now I got my first car. At, my dad bought it for me, a Ford Prefect, at the age of twelve. How old were you? Because Farm kids have different rules. How old were you when you first got behind the wheel and what was it? Well, I, I was working in Nil in, when I was uh, 15 and uh, I wanted to go home one weekend and I went up to the Holden dealer and said, what's the cheapest car you got? <laughs> he had a 750 Renault that got about halfway home to Murrayville, which is 120k, and I walked the rest. But um, <laughs> uh, that was, I think, the first car that was mine. The other one was a... Uh, uh, an A-model Ford that I had to share with the brothers and uh, that probably started in about 1960, yeah. And how old were you when you did your first donut? <laughs> we actually don't do no donuts, you know. <laughs> uh, no, I've, I've never been a donut man, you know. I, yeah. I, get, I go fanging around the corner and uh, got a, got a, yeah, you know, you got to join the front or the back called <laughs> a, a circuit and um, <laughs> that, that's what I was more interested in, yeah. <laughs> Trompo, can I weave you in here? You made yeah. a great um, point when we walked in this evening, and I, I probably borrowed a little bit of that in the introduction. This great man made it to Europe on absolute merit and, yeah. and chased the single-seater dream, didn't Indeed. He? I mean, I think we all grew up wanting to be Larry, quite frankly, wanting to be able to do what he did. And there are, unfortunately, in modern motor racing examples around the world these days, there are a lot of people that get there with a lot of cash in their back pocket, and this guy was not one of those. He got there because he worked hard and he was very good at his job, and uh, you know, that's a great achievement. And we're very fortunate... Uh, that we've had a few of those in Australia uh, along the way. But, um, you know, Larry's one of the few people to have made it in Formula One and driven for some very big names in the process and no less than Bernie Eccleston is probably one of the biggest names ever in Formula One. And and there's a few other things along the way you did in the Sun Racer. That was pretty cool. And uh, I can remember, I think it was 1988, Larry drove the Silk Cut Jag at Le Mans, finished fourth with... Uh, Derek Daly and one of the other guys, and that was a that was another huge achievement. Sort of went under the radar slightly because we're such a touring car driven nation. But yeah, some really special achievements, and uh, not very many people have got a CV like LP. You've touched on a couple of key things that we should probably just kind of quickly dive on. Firstly, what about the you know from a, a Formula One chapter? The results pages don't do it justice, LP. But Crompo talked about you know drove for some very big teams there, and I mean, tell us about. You know, um, being in that era, in, in Elisa's uh, introduction a little earlier this evening when we came in for the function, pretty cool porn-looking moustache. She had the look back in the day. <laughs> no. was, it, was it Dennis Lilly, I think, was still the most observation. Was still a bit there. Um, what was the question? <laughs> the, the question was being there in, in that era and, and the difficulties of actually trying to even break in and make it to Formula One from, from this part of the world, I guess. Well, I, I didn't think it was... Uh, hard. Um, I was very focused, you see. I, I, I left the farm. I was a, a windmill mechanic and, uh, you know, water borer and, you know, I, I wanted you know, to go from rags to riches and I, the path was, 
you know, we'd go into the, the, the bookshop uh, and, you know, the guys would read the uh, Playboy magazines and I'd read the car <laughs> magazines. <laughs> <laughs> they all say and, that. And, and then we'd swap and... Um, but no, I wanted to. I wanted to go to um, over over to Formula One, and um, I saw that as a, as a great opening. And I, I was unaware of the hurdles in front of me, and uh, that that helped. You know, bought my race car in Australia and won a couple of races. And you know, Bib still put me in one of his cars straight away and won more races and so on. And got to Europe and. Um, after my first race at Brands Hatch, it was a world final for 120 Formula Fords from all over the world. Every country sent their finest and um, I ended up coming uh, third in the final and I got someone in England said, hey, come and drive my car. And it was like that always because car owners want drivers to win races and somehow I, I got myself noticed and kept going, yeah. Larry, that, that journey, I mean... That was a long time ago, but when you look at that journey today and if you look out here at the audience, there's some young people here. We've got 500 apprentices at the VACC. If an apprentice had that dream and, and, and I think the point you made is you didn't know what the hurdles were so it made it easier, could somebody do it again that way or is that time gone? Is it still achievable to do it through hard work and perseverance or does it need something else? Well, at the time I did it, you you weren't able to do it that way at all. So, um, but I didn't read that part of the script. And um, you know, every guy who owns a Formula One car wants a better driver than uh, the next guy. And if they if you can identify yourself as a driver, so you got to do certain things to get into the limelight, you can get a driver. It's as simple as that. The, the hard bit is. Uh, get on the platform yeah. Yeah. to be able to show you uh, skills uh, in a, you know, reliable way. But I think it's very achievable. But it's made easier now because if you choose your parents well, it's very easy. And, um, <laughs> but, you know, and, and sometimes that masks the uh, the task. But if you're determined, uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I see, uh, you know, young Australians over there now, I don't know how they got there, but they've got there and I can only... Uh, you know, a young Oscar, I don't know him, but he, he's doing a fantastic job and I'm sure he, you know, I don't know how he got there, but he's, he, he must have yeah. wanted to do it. And if you haven't got the desire to do it and the um, enthusiasm, uh, you know, you, you, you might as well not even start. So, yeah, I, I think everyone should follow his dream, whether it be the mechanic or, or, or whatever whatever industry. You know, you've got to have some passion in it and without that you, you've got nothing. Yeah, it's, okay. uh, I agree. It's a great message and you did incredibly well, Larry. Now, the shoey is a recent invention. So the shoey, <laughs> to drink your booze out of your shoe. So it was uh, since, since your retirement, the shoey's come along. How did you celebrate a win back in the day? What would Larry Perkins do after a, after a race win? <laughs> oh, Christ. Help, help pack the truck. <laughs> <laughs> so there was no hitting the nightclubs back then. You would no, on no. to the next one. Now, I was very disciplined, um, you know, uh, when I was up the farm. I was 18 years old, got my car licence and was able to go into a pub and uh, sort of did that for six months and realised that was a waste of time. Um, yeah, so um, I forget what I was going to say now. Christ. I was uh, just talking about your celebration after, after oh, the a win. Oh, yeah, the celebration after a win. You know, I was never excited about it in the context of going out and having a big booze up because I didn't drink. I, I didn't drink till I was about 50 when I finished, um, you know, retired from uh, racing because I was so 
um, determined not to put any barrier in front of me that may have affected. Now, I like the drink, but um, I didn't want to uh, influence, you know, I didn't want to have a hangover and have to drive the next day because it may affect you. Mm. Uh, actually, I think it does affect you. But, yeah, so I've spent a long time off off to drink, didn't, did, not that I'm a bloody drunk or anything, but um, didn't drink and uh, I was very fit. I ex- exercised uh, properly, uh, you know, I could probably give footballers a run for their money on genuine fitness. And, uh, <laughs> I used to play for the uh, nil under-16s when I was working and um, in footy they were all still going to school and I'd been working for a couple of years so I had a few, you know, uh, fitness things under my belt. But, yeah, you, you just got to... As I say, the um, the celebration is uh, that's the easy bit. If you don't plan your celebration, you plan your win. We'll be right back with more of Larry Perkins live from the 2023 VACC Presidents Grand Prix Supper. Looking for reliability? Switch to Denso and you'll understand why their products outperform anything else in the industry, from ignition coils to engine management sensors, AC components and alternators, filters to fuel pumps and much more. Plus, cutting-edge spark plug technology that makes Denso plugs sought after worldwide, built to last the distance and keep you on our roads longer, thanks to the industry-leading testing facilities that they have right here in Australia. At your next service, be sure to ask for Denso, or you can find your part at denso.com.au. Back now with our feature guest for this episode, Larry Perkins, live from the 2023 VACC President's Grand Prix Supper. Can can I blend a couple of talking points that you've bounced across here on the Europe side of things, if we can? Firstly, a little bit of intel from uh, a bloke that Crompo and I know pretty well. His name may or may not be Jack Perkins. Uh, (laughs) he, He says, on the fitness side that you just brought up there a moment ago, you did against some big names, and I, the, the picture I've seen, I reckon, might have been Emerson Fittipaldi. You beat those blokes in a cycling race, maybe at Monza. Is that right? Was there where some push bike race? What did you do? What was that? No, no. Back back in those Formula One races, they would quite often have a bicycle race for the uh, Formula One drivers, and I, I was in Brazil, and Emerson was the uh, he was the star. He was going to win, win you, know, and I was a new guy, and. So no one was focusing on me, and all the other Formula One drivers were all very fit, you know, the Jochen Mass and the Nicky Louders and the James Hunt and everyone. But you know, uh, I knew how to ride a push bike, and uh, you know, I thumped them. And um, um, yeah, so, so, so that's uh, yeah, that's the level of fitness. You got to be right on top of it, not just hope you're there. Most people in the room that run workshops and things that are VACC members will acutely be aware of just how respected, how good Lowry is when it comes to that that mechanical understanding, the car preparation that he was renowned for, particularly in his supercars career as well. There is a quick story on the European side, I think from Formula 3. Was it an Italian, non-English speaking mechanic and you had a problem and you had to diagnose the problem while driving it because you had this language barrier, did you, or something? Well, it was just... Open up on that a bit if you can. Yes, when I um, got to Eng- England, uh, I think the second year I got a, to drive for a uh, Italian team in Formula Three, and um, and I ended up down it was the March uh, the March factory team, 
and I'm ended up down there thinking, Christ, well, this is a long way from Murrayville, and um, they're all speaking funny. And um, <laughs> <laughs> and I was living in a hotel, a small hotel, but my mechanic was Italian, and he spoke no English and vice versa. And I'm, I'm running around, it was the Nürburgring actually, and uh, I come in, I said, this bloody engine's got the, the, you know, the camshaft's got a lobe off it. He said, no bullshit. He said, he said that in Italian. <laughs> <laughs> but I gathered what he meant. And so I said, no, no, hey, hang on. It's get the bloody top off the engine at the camshaft shag, you know. And um, so very reluctantly he pulls off and there was a lobe off a camshaft. So he was, Mr oh. Larry, Mr Larry, <laughs> he, was, he was very appreciative of my... Uh, um, engineering skills by sound after that, and uh, but no, I got on well. I ended up uh, handling a fair bit of the language, and um, um, yeah, awesome. Crompo, can we weave you in here before we move to kind of the supercars chapter? Yeah. Is there anything you'd like to reminisce on on the on the maybe the F1 side? I mean, you brought up uh, Brabham and Bernie and all sorts before, didn't you? Well, yeah, I think the the great thing about this nation is just how we've punched above our weight. Generally, you know, if you look at Tim Schenken, you look at Larry, you look at Alan Jones, you look at Mark Weber, Oscar Piastri, Daniel Ricciardo, it's a pretty fair lineup of people that have achieved along the way. Vern Schupan, there's a range of people that have uh, achieved big time and they've come from an environment where it isn't that easy. It's far easier in the Northern Hemisphere, you know, to do it when you're in the UK or when you're in Italy or, um, you know, maybe when you're, you're down in Brazil, there's been a lot more money available and a fair bit more passion. So, you know, I think it's fantastic to see what we've seen over a long period of time with so many of the guys. But there's, um, there's so many great characters. Um, there's so many cool cars. I got to see a bunch of them only several weeks ago and I've seen them before. I went to... And I don't know whether you've seen it at some point, Larry, Bernie Eccleston's private collection. Have you ever seen the private collection of cars? It's, uh, uh, only some photos. of them you would have driven. Photos, yeah. Yeah, it, it is uh, unbelievable. But I got to see Zach Brown's private collection just a couple of weeks ago. So he's got some astonishing cars tucked away that he's just been accumulating along the way. They'd be worth millions and millions of dollars, be near impossible. And they're the cars that we all sat up at night watching, and, you know, dreaming that you might drive, and then they are in front of you. And... Uh, you know, there was uh, a Mansell 1986 Williams Honda that he finished second in the World Championship. There was the 1993 Lola Ford that he won the IndyCar Championship in and he won it back-to-back, -back, having won the 92 Formula One World Championship for Williams. And that's a bit of a rarity to be able to go from Formula One. You know, it's like jumping football codes from AFL to NRL, sort of not an easy thing to do. Mm. So there's just there all these cars. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm a bit sick for it, as you can probably tell. I, I like it too much, uh, to my detriment. Unfortunately, when I should have probably been just buying those Playboys for the articles, <laughs> I, was, um, I was busy drawing race cars and uh, studying photographs and hanging out of trees watching these blokes scorching around, dreaming my, my way into driving one. The world has, has changed, Larry, with, uh, you, you know, uh, massive safety now, halos and lots of tech in the current cars that we see here this weekend and so on. What were those beasts like to drive in Formula One in the, in the 70s? Can you kind of take us there and describe that? Well, the, the biggest difference from then to today is uh, the, the most entries in the Formula One was when someone else got killed. And mm. um, it sounds flippant to say it, but, um, you know, it was sometimes knocking two or three or four off a year. And, um, you know, that's how you got in the F1. And, um, you know, that doesn't happen anymore. It's fantastically safe now. But it has altered things. Um, you know, you, when you think, you know, you had none of the crash deformity stuff in a Formula One car, and they still did, you know, there's 350 k's or something. And, mm. 
you know, I used to first at time down at Nürburgring, uh, you know, the famous Nürburgring. I watched the front tyres, they were this wide, but by the time I got to the end of the straight, they'd stood up about an inch and a half, and the, you could see the rims hanging out the side, you know, from centrifugal force. And then, Jesus, I hope, I hope someone's done their homework on that, you know. Yeah. And, uh, but that, you know, I wanted to drive the Nürburgring. I, I mentioned that. It's a fantastic track, and uh, I must admit, I, I did was involved in... Uh, in, in that being cancelled because I was a young driver there and they want, uh, the first, I was first time there for me and uh, Bernie didn't want to go there anymore. He was having a blue with um, someone and uh, we all had to sign a petition and I wouldn't sign it because I wanted to race at Nürburgring. I grew up with Nürburgring wanting to race those 175 corners and, <laughs> and I had done it the year before and so... And so Bernie did come up and said, now listen, if you want a you know, career in F1, you better sign it. So I realised when I was uh, you know, flogging a dead horse and I signed it. But um, <laughs> yeah, so there's some of the things that happened in F1, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, one of the things that I reckon is really interesting about Formula One is the way in which it's evolved into such a gigantic corporate activity now. You know, we were talking before, Limo, about Adelaide and the inception of the Grand Prix in 1985. If you go back and actually look at the size and the structures of the teams and how they went about it, and then in the era that Larry was driving the cars, and then look at the corporate version of Formula One now, you know, I was at a function last night and, and the previous night, and they were talking about the depth of the organisations, the thousand people mm. in a modern Formula One team. How many people did you have when you were with Bernie? Well, he had a team of uh, 30 and he had a shed that the truck fitted and I thought that was just incredible, you know. Yeah. But, um, but you could still compete. Uh, in that year, I went to the Monza race with my private, it wasn't my Formula One car, a Dutch company owned it and they'd semi-gone broke and I said, well, loan me your car and two Dutch mechanics and, and my brother and we went to Monza. It didn't start well because we were parked next to the Lotus team and we changed the engine and my Dutch mechanic poured the dead oil into the Lotus fuel tank of, nice. the, of the 44 for their fuel, so it didn't go well. But but then in the qualifying, I qualified uh, between the two Lotus, uh, 11th on the grid, if I remember rightly, between Andretti and uh, Gunnar Nielsen. And so that was the difference. I did that with two Dutch mechanics and a bit of enthusiasm and very little money, but... Um, so, yeah, if you try hard enough, you can, you can get there. It's amazing when you look at the way the cars have changed. Like, I looked in Alan Prost's McLaren at the McLaren Technology Centre a couple of weeks ago. They won the World Championship with the car. It's got, you know, rotary dials in it. There's no LED dash. Um, it's got Dymo labels for things like oil pressure and water temperature. And, you know, really basic. It's got a simple... H pattern gearbox in it, and but the racing was fantastic. But uh, it's changed so much technically, and Rusty. Gear and a gear yeah. lever. Yeah, and a gear lever, <laughs> and th three pedals. <laughs> you know, so there's just so many things that have changed. But it's now, you know, the from the era where Larry and good mechanics and good engineers uh, were working on cars jointly, where there was. 20, 25, 30 people. Now you've got people that, you know, you go up and talk to a guy and you say, what do I do or what do you do? And he says, I do front wing end plates. And you go, what else? And he goes, no, no I do front wing end plates. <laughs> That's, you know, there's specialists in every single corner, every department of Formula One. How long, so pit stops these days are, what are they, one, two seconds now? Yeah. How long were your pit stops back then, Larry, in F1? We didn't have them. <laughs> oh, okay. Good. No, quick then, mate. So, that yeah, was so quick. quick. That was, we didn't expect that'd be that quick. We, we had uh, normally, I think, a Grand Prix 250 miles long, and you had a full tank of gas, and 
<laughs> want to see you at the end of it. <laughs> Why are you waiting? Well, <laughs> Folks, we could, uh, we could reminisce like this for ages. I would encourage all of you um, in the room, um, if you haven't already done so, there's a fantastic book on Larry, one on Neil Crompton too, for that matter, by uh, a good body of mine, um, Aaron Noonan, the V8 sleuth, worth having a look at those, listening to, to some, and reading some of the great stories. Um, one that, that sticks out as we wrap this up, Larry, you know, winning at Bathurst in 1993 with the Holden engine, all the bulk of the other Holden teams had gone to the, the Chev. There's a lot of noise made about the Chev and you proved Holden, as many of the people in the room now know, not a part of the Australian landscape. That was enormously special. One of six Bathurst wins along the way. You made it to Formula One. We're going to come back a little bit later on and talk about the current era of things and have a bit of fun with a few other stories as well. I do, can I do a quick one before we oh. wrap up? I spoke to Larry upstairs earlier and I was trying to get a celebrity story out of Larry. I said, you must have come across a bunch of celebrities over the years or given a celebrity a hot lap. And what was your response when I was trying to get a celebrity story, Larry? Well, I don't know, I probably didn't pay too much of it to a celebrity and was unsure if they were celebrities or not, but <laughs> I, I was uh, moved, though, by uh, a couple of instances. We used to do Starlight Foundation you know, and that type of thing and t take little kids around. And uh, uh, the best thing, we had a little kid once and uh, 90s old, give him, made a, dr a driving suit, working suit. He worked in the pits and he wanted a lap of Bathurst and the steward said, yeah, you should be right. And... So he wanted to go flat out, so I go flat out and, you know, he's grinned from ear to ear. That, that gave me such a good, a good feel uh, because, you know, that poor little bugger wouldn't be with us now. And uh, so that, that's, what, that's what used to move me. Better than any celebrity. And you told me you gave one lady a hot lap. How old was she? No, she's an old granny. She was at least 110. 110? <laughs> and, and, and the steward said, OK, you can do one lap. And I said to her old granny, look, one lap's rubbish, but if you go on a ride, I'm going to ask you a thumbs up or thumbs down for an extra lap. And so we've done one lap and I've looked over and she's gone. So I've flattened it and uh, <laughs> then I was in the steward's room after that. What did you do? But she loved it. Yeah, it was, it was great. You knocked all the wrinkles out of us. You looked 30 <laughs> at the end of that. Huh? He's uh, been a proud builder of some enormously <laughs> successful race cars, employed a lot of people in the business along the way as well, won some great things on the Australian motorsport uh, landscape, did some amazing things for this country internationally as well, inspiring others to follow in his footsteps. Wonderful to have him as our guest of honour here this evening. Would you put your hands together for Larry Perkins, everybody. Having supplied more than 300 million clutch kits to OE clients, I just want to say that again, 300 million, Exidy has earned a reputation for trust, respect and quality. All Exidy OEM replacement kits include high-quality cover assemblies, clutch discs and release bearings, and are manufactured to strict specifications for fitment, longevity and noise suppression. When you choose to fit an OEM replacement kit from Exidy's extensive range, you'll enjoy the same loyalty that they demonstrate to OE clients around the globe. Find out more at exidy.com.au. Bit of listener mail in the glove box this month. Why don't we roll through a bit while we've got time? Uh, one for me, actually. Uh, John from Shepparton. I love GT cars and endurance racing like the Bathurst 12-hour. 
will it take off in Australia? Um, short answer, John, is that there are a number of very good cars in this country. Bathurst 12-hour this year was arguably the best that it has ever been from a roll-up of cars point of view, from an international driver point of view. Um, and there is a solid rebuild happening around the GT Championship in this country. It's actually being run by the Australian Racing Group now, who I do some broadcasts with, um, and they're very passionate about making sure that that series is on par with other GT categories um, around the world and um, and promoting it really strongly again. So keep an eye out for that. A question for you, though, on that one, Rusty. Is it a bit track-dependent? It's so amazing at Bathurst. I'll throw Phillip Island in the mix. Is it a bit track-design-dependent? I mean, like... Those cars at Winton, would it work? I get what you mean. A proper cool circuit like the yeah. Island and Bathurst, it really showcases the cars as they're meant to be. It gives them the chance to do what the maker Stretch intended. Their legs, yeah. Um, but, you know, like anything, if you want to run a championship, it's got to go to multiple venues to, to create a proper Australian um, series. And the organisers are, are endeavouring to do that. But, Shane, with those style of showcase events, you know, with a real presence at, at Bathurst throughout the year and, so, and, and stuff like that, one for you, my friend, from uh, Tony in Murray Bridge. And I actually reckon, <laughs> you know what, this will be me not clearing out the glove box properly because I think this mail's been in here for a little while. I'm very sorry, Tony. I don't know when this came in. I can't tell. Um, uh, when are we going to get Koanji's greatest export on the show? He says, best pod ever, by the way. Thank you, Tony. I, I, we really have just done that. The great man, Larry Perkins, is the is the hero of that part Hang of the on, world. I'm sorry, I'm only just catching on. What did you say, Kawanji? Kawanji. Kawanji. What do you is is that a name or is that just a noise you made? <laughs> no, it's a beautiful country town. And as you come into that country town, they let you know, mate, there's a big sign from memory and it is it is Larry Perkins territory. So that's where Larry's from. There you go. Yeah. Oh so we've so we've <laughs> got a picture of him when you when you drive in. Has it? Yeah, with his car. How good are we on this podcast? We've you've just given us mail saying when are you going to get him on the show, and we've already delivered. <laughs> Is this it's how on, good are we? You could argue that you two are good and I'm bad because I didn't read that mail in recent months. However long that's been in there, apologies, Tony. I'd like to see it as the fastest response to a request <laughs> rather than the slowest opening of an envelope. <laughs> Here at the Grill, immediacy is our middle name. Uh, Marguerite from Castlemaine, uh, Castlemaine, Castlemaine. Uh, why do people call hybrid cars electric vehicles? They're not. They're idiots. <laughs> They're idiots. In a funny old way, it's a good question. So when we only had hybrids, lots of people called them electric vehicles because that's all there was. And then as we went up the food chain and got plug-in hybrids and battery electric vehicles, um, really the vernaculars changed. So that's what's happened. Originally, they were hybrids. They called them electric because all they were. Nowadays, they call conventional hybrid, plug-in hybrid, and uh, battery electric vehicle. So there you go. If we've just whet your appetite for bit of Larry Perkins, more of Neil Crompton, Limo. Don't worry. There is so much more good stuff that our producer, Tom, has already put in the bank. It's rich in content, as they say, uh, that we're going to let you enjoy on the next step of the show in a few weeks' time. So don't worry. More of that good stuff coming from the GP. For Jeff, Shane and the team, that's it for now. We'll catch you next time, everybody. This episode was brought to you by Bendix Brakes, Denso and Exidy. The Grill, a collaboration with VACC, the Victorian Automotive Chamber of Commerce, and powered by Listener.
listener.